you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. We are going to look at one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture. It is an episode in David's life that if there was one day that he could have back, if there was one moment, one time in his life that he could have back, I promise you, this would be the day. This would be the time. You ever think back in your life and say, man, if I could, if I could just have that moment back, this is it for David. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 12 is a hard passage. And I know the time, but we need to hear this account. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. As I read it, I, I want you to, to think about... Because it's not just for my exercise to see if I can still read that we are going to read this. I I need you to be engaged, and I want you to be engaged. I want you to think about the sins, plural, that David entertains. Because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to war, to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Your translation may say bed. Most of them do. But when he arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why, Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, Just picture this for a second. Knife stuck and turned. I mean, just just how this verse is biting inside David. 
Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house, eat and to drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Israel, in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and Some of the servants of David among the people fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerobesheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David and all Joab, All that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us. They came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let... This matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's read the first couple of paragraphs in chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of the morsel and drink from 
his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And as he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you the king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with her, with your wives, in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Heavenly Father, God, I don't know where to begin. But Father, I pray that this passage for every single person in this room, Lord, this passage would not be taken lightly. God, that we would examine it this morning Father, you would allow us to examine our own hearts, our own lives this morning to see where we stand. Father, from the smallest of sin to the largest of sins, God, would you allow your spirit to convict to convict me this morning, to convict us this morning, to see, God, to see our lives like you see our lives. And Father, I am so thankful for those last few verses. 
God, that you have covered our sin, that you have taken that sin away, that you have acted. May we see that this morning as we leave. But before we look at that, God, may you show us the sin that is in our lives and may we bring that before you. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Four truths. Four truths this morning. The first truth that you and I need to see this morning is this. That the freeway, the freeway of sin moves fast. The freeway of sin moves fast. And for the sake of time, let me add to that the second truth this morning. The wake of sin. The wake of sin. In your life and in my life, it grows with each one. So let's look at those two truths right up front. The freeway of sin moves fast and the wake of sin grows with each one. In this passage, there are a number of sins that David displays, that David falls into, that David acts upon. And in those sins, plural, the wake that is caused, the wake that is made from those sins engulfs more and more people with each and every sin that David partakes in. Look at these sins quickly, sins that I have called first the sin of casualness. The sin of casualness. It was the time for kings to go to war, yet David was in Jerusalem in bed. It was time for kings to go to war, yet David stays in bed every single hour of the day. Yes, he sent Joab, his greatest commander. Yes, he sent all his servants, all his warriors, but the king was in bed. The sin of casualness. In and of itself... That of casualness is not a sin. And I love what Adrian Rogers says about this. He says it's really a sin of omission. And sins of omissions are greater than sins of commission because all sins of commission are really also sins of omission. If you and I are failing, he goes on and he says this, if you and I are failing to do what is right, it is very easy for you and it's very easy for me to do what is wrong. As a matter of fact, to fail to do right in and of itself is wrong. But if you are doing what is right, you cannot do what is wrong because no man can do two things at one time, period. Great point. So guess what? Here's the rule. Do right. It's the do right rule. Why do you have all these stinking rules? All you need is one. If you and I would just do right, we can't do two things at one time. So if we just do what's right, we won't do what's wrong. The sin of casualness. But not only the sin of casualness, he moves from that to the sin of carelessness. He walked out on the balcony in the late afternoon after he had gotten out of bed. He finally quit pushing snooze on the alarm clock. It's 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He walks outside on the balcony of the king's house and he saw. Now you and I need to do a little work on that word saw. Because it's not that he just glanced. It's not that he just looked and said, oh yeah, there's a woman bathing, let me go back inside. No, that word saw is he set his gaze on it. If you were to go to my parents' house, 
right now. If you were to go to my parents' house, my parents have a uh, back porch and they have windows all across the back porch because it's looking out over the back 40 of their house, right? And so you would go and you would stand there and at every stinking window, there is a set of binoculars, because my dad wants to see the wildlife that walks in front of it. My mom wants to see how many, how many deer come across this morning. How many turkeys are going across? What are the ducks doing down at the pond? And I'm telling you, every single window has a set of binoculars. And you know what they do? Every morning when the sun comes up, they're at one of those windows. And they are looking. And that's exactly what David was doing. He picked up his binoculars and he focused those in and he said, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is that? You see how it's described a little later, that next verse, that next sentence? He saw her, and he saw that she was very beautiful. If you just glance at something, you can't tell if it's very anything. You can't see it. If he, if he just glanced, you can't tell it's very anything, but he saw her and knew that she was very beautiful. The sin of carelessness. But that sin of carelessness drove him to a third sin, and it was the sin of compulsiveness. David walks over to the edge. got his binoculars out and he is over there and he is staring toward Bathsheba. It must have been awkward for those that were around him. I mean, he's, he's staring at her and he says, hey, who's that? Who, who is that? Um, uh, sir, um, I don't know, but that's kind of like Uriah's house is down that way. Um, I, I guess that would probably be, be Bathsheba, his wife. His wife. Um, go get her. Now that's bad. Okay, we can all agree that that's bad, right? Hey, there's not anybody in here that would state different than that. That here is David, the king. And he hears from his servants, hey, uh, king, that's Uriah's wife. But it goes much deeper than that, folks. You just, maybe you know this. We, we could all agree that that is bad, but, but you need to understand that it goes much deeper because who is Uriah? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm mad. Because as I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm remembering some friends of mine that have gone down this road. Some close friends of mine that have looked at me eye to eye and said, hey, it's not happening. It's not happening in my life. And it was a blatant lie. It's not happening. All the while it was happening. One, two, three, four, five, six. How many fingers do I have to count? Close friends. And David says, go get her. Who was Uriah? 
Uriah. If you go back and you look at who, who Uriah was, Uriah, when David was running from Saul, when David was living in caves, when David was scared to death and Saul's army was coming after him every single day to kill him, Uriah was there to stand. Uriah was a mighty man. Uriah was one of his best friends. Uriah kept him alive day after day after day. And David says, I want her, go get her. That's, that's some uh, hot-blooded sin, right? But it goes even further. Because that hot-blooded sin called adultery leads to cold-blooded murder. The sin of callousness. Because Uriah would not go help David cover David's sin. Did y'all, did y'all read this? Did, y- did, y'all, did y'all read this? They had a weird term for intimacy with their wives in the Old Testament. Hey, go home and wash your feet. I don't understand that. But they knew what it meant. Why don't you go to the house and wash your feet? And Uriah would not. He would not. He slept outside. He slept outside the king's gate two nights in a row. How in the world, king? How in the world, king, would you... Would you expect me to really do that? I mean, Joab and the whole army is sleeping in tents. There is a battle raging. And you want me to go comfort myself at my wife? I will not. Well, let me get you drunk. Here's a couple of fists. Why don't you, why don't you consume a little more and let's see if you'll do it a second. No, nope, I will not do this. Not going to happen. Okay. Let's start writing it out. Joab. As the battle rages, set Uriah at the front. And when they come out, everybody else draw back. So Uriah dies. If you're not going to join me in this sin, if you're not going to help me cover it up, if you're not going to help me, you're gone. Really? This is coming from the one who is spoken of by God that he has a heart after my own heart. This is the one that is spoken of that states, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin against thee. This is the one that is saying, Hey, yep, set him up close to the front and make sure he's dead. And then the callousness to say, Hey, Uriah, um, here's a letter. I need you to get it to Uriah. I mean, I needed you to get it to Joab as soon as possible. Let's look at the wake of the sin. The wake grows more and more. Sin engulfs more and more people with each sin. The sin of casualness. There was some idleness that was happening. It cost David. Possibly it cost others because he was not leading the army like he should have been, but it definitely cost David. Then the sin that we spoke of, of um of carelessness. It brought in others. Who is this woman? They had to act upon this. They had to tell him who it was so that he would tell them, hey, go get her. 
The sin of compulsiveness. It brought Bathsheba into it. It brought Uriah into it. It brought Joab into it. It definitely brought all those servants around him. The wake continues to grow. It is engulfing more and more. The cover-up. It killed multiple people. The cover-up. It killed Uriah. It cost David. It cost his family. It cost Bathsheba. It cost, him a, it cost her a son. The consequences, ultimately, as we saw and we read in, Gen- in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, from that day forward, the sword was in his house. From that day forward, his wives would be brought out in public. And they would be ridiculed. They would be raped by his own family, by his own neighbors. Oh, that wake is engulfing more and more and more. And maybe you sit here today. And maybe your thought is, that could never happen to me. That, that, that won't happen to me. I could never do that. Let's look at the third truth then. If that is your thought, possibly. The third truth for you this morning. Students. The third truth for you this morning. Adults. Is that the reach of sin touches everyone. The reach of sin touches everyone. All of mankind, all of mankind has been infected with sin from birth. This man, David, In Psalm 139, as later he says, In iniquity, in iniquity I was born. From the moment of conception, he states, I was born. It reaches everyone. You and I are born into iniquity. Sins of omission and sins of commission are done Every single day by you, by me. It was written of by FDR and other leaders of the uh, Allies in the 1930s. As they were looking back at the start of World War II there in the end of the 30s and all the way through the middle of the 40s. As they were looking back, a number of leaders stated, I couldn't believe that it was happening. I could not believe the atrocities that were spoken of because how in the world could a cultured civilization, the Germans who gave us Mozart and Bach, who gave us all these great things, these thinkers, how in the world could they kill millions? I just couldn't believe it. So all the accounts that were written, all the accounts that were spoken of, I just pushed them aside, FDR stated. (laughs) 
you and I look at a passage like 2 Samuel chapter 11 and we're like, there is no way. There's no way that that could happen. Let me just tell you, the day that David walked out on the roof of his house, he did not sit in bed. I I will never believe this. He did not sit in bed for five hours. Lord, I, I think today I just want to ruin my life. Today I just want to have an affair. I just want to, some people say, I just want to rape a woman today. He didn't do it. Well, then what happened? Some read it this week, studied it this week. Some would say that all the way back to Michael, his first wife, something happened when when he was bringing the the Ark of the Covenant and he was dancing and singing for, for God's glory and she ridiculed him. I read a commentator this week and he said at that moment, At that moment, there was a disrespect from her to him. You're like, well, why are are you telling me this, Brian? It's 1106. It's time for you to be closing this down. Wives, what does Paul say in Ephesians? Respect your husbands. Men, what does he say to you and to me as a husband? He says that you and I are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Love them selflessly. Give ourselves up for them every single day. Tim Keller states it this way. He says, what terrible thing. What terrible thing. Warped. David. A man after God's own heart. It couldn't have been David. It must have been It must have been the circumstances around him. No, it was David. And if you and I state, I love how he says this, if you and I state that we could never, that we would never do something like that, you, sir, you, ma'am, you, students, you, Brian, have just taken a huge step, a huge leap in that direction. Because it could happen to you. And it could happen to me. And it could happen today. So what do we do? You and I need to realize that we are so close. That you and I are capable of every atrocity that is spoken in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 12, that we are, we are capable of all of this and more. And by all means, don't trust your heart. Your heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Your heart, your emotions will take you to a place that you should never go. Sin. We studied this week, guys, Tuesday morning. Paul David Tripp had a great point. He stated, sin is not spoken of that it is fun. But sin's fun. You need to understand that. Sin is fun for a season. If it weren't fun, nobody would do it. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't be tempted by it. If it was not fun for a season, there would be no bother. 
But it's fun. Acknowledge that and run from it. Growing up, my home preacher would always say, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. A stinking men. Yet you and I just flippantly do it. Hey kids, students, you don't want to fall into that? Maybe you need to put some barriers up. Maybe you don't need to be dating somebody one-on-one. Brian, that's archaic. That's dark age. Nope. That's future great days and not future agony. Mike Pence, vice president, is being ridiculed, slammed. Earlier this year, he was ridiculed, slammed. Last year, ridiculed, slammed by the media. How in the world could this chauvinistic man not sit down for lunch or dinner with somebody other than his wife that was female? Um, because he didn't want to end up like David in 2 Samuel chapter 11? Why in the world would you not do that? Uh, because I love my wife and I will not do that. Billy Graham, read it, I heard it this, this week at his, at his funeral, at his memorial service. He would not do that. And why? Because he loved his wife so much. I'm not going to do it. I may fall somewhere else. I will not do that, Lord. And I will set up the barriers necessary for that. And right now, while you are not tempted, maybe you need to start setting up some barriers. Men, women, boys, girls, Brian, setting up some barriers. Just so you don't make me out to be a liar, here is the good. Here's the good. Fourth truth this morning. The abundant grace God shows to His own children. Look with me at the abundant grace that God shows to His own children. 2 Samuel chapter 12, what a moment. Nathan hears from God and goes and stands in the presence of the king. I don't know if his knees were shaken. But my knees would have been shaking. But he goes in and do you see this grace? This is a moment of grace. And it's a moment of grace for you. Does he go in and say, thou art the man, David? Do you understand what you just did? And just lay it off. No, he doesn't. He says, David, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. There was this rich man. He had everything. It was this poor man. He only had one little ewe lamb. I mean, it sat in his lap. He fed it right here. It was so close to him. And a traveler just came through. Just a moment. Just a day. And he goes and he kills that lamb. Now, my wife is in the room, okay? And she does not need you to remind her of this moment. Okay? Let me just be honest with you. The whole time I'm up here and right now as well. When there's sin in me, when there's sin, when there's there's something just underneath my skin, and I've allowed it to stay, 
something else that's on the outside. It doesn't have to do with me, but something else is happening in the house. Something else is happening in life. When that happens, guess what? I ferociously go all out on that. Why? Because I'm trying to cover something up that's inside of me that I like. And if you're honest, you are the same way, I bet. David, like, hey, I did something. So I'm going to take out my aggression on that man. And Nathan points the finger. Hey, Brian, you are the man. Hey, sir, you are the man. Hey, ma'am, you are the man, woman. You are the one. It's you. It's not anybody else. It's you. The grace is shown. David deserved to die. David's lineage deserved to be snuffed out at that moment. David deserved every moment of eternity to be separated from God. Yet God says, hey, there's grace. You deserve. You deserve. You deserve. You deserve separation. Yet He says, here's grace. Here's grace. Your sin's been covered, David. Your sin has been covered. I have put it away. You shall not die. Aren't you thankful? Don't don't you see the grace of God every moment of the day that God has bestowed on you? Romans chapter 1 states that 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 grace has been shown. Those invisible traits, those invisible attributes has been shown in you and I have no excuse because He has shown grace to you. He has shown grace to you. He loves you. And desires for you and desires for me to come to Him. Sir, He's covered your sin. That sin that you thought was in private, it's covered. It's covered. That FaceTime with the screen, covered. Those thoughts about that woman that is very beautiful. Covered. That disrespect that wells up in you and in me. Covered. Those words that you lash out. Covered. Those attitudes. Covered. Those sins of omission that you know you are supposed to be doing right and you are not. Covered. But what every single person in this room needs to do right now, every single one of us, give them to Him. Turn from them. You know what they are. You know exactly where you are. You know exactly where you are. You know what you did last night, last week, last month. You know. Let me give you some Bob Newhart counseling. Stop it. Stop it. And give them to Him. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve Your grace. 
Heavenly Father, there is a room full of sinners right here, right now. Father, there are sinners that are in high school. There are sinners that are in junior high. There are sinners who are seniors in their lives. There are sinners in our 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever the decade. We are all sinners. And Father, we need to repent. God, I pray for the husbands in this room. Father, those of us in the room who are husbands, God, we struggle. Father, there are those of us in the room that have fallen. Fallen in the past, fallen this week, Lord. God, may we repent. Father, I pray for the wives in this room. Father, they have struggled in the past. They have struggled this week. They have sinned this week. May they repent. Men, women, boys, girls, may this body, your bride right here at River Bend, may we come clean. Lord, I, I love what was spoken this past week in men's group. As long as we try to cover sin up, Lord, you will uncover it. As long as we try to cover it up, you will uncover it. But if we uncover it and give it to you, God, you cover it with your blood. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, paying for my sin. God, may that, may you show that to every single one of us. Lord, may we respond to you in Christ's name. Amen. Men, women, boys and girls, would you respond? He is seeking you. Would you respond as we stand and as we sing?